just rechecking again. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, of the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 3. Again, I'm sorry about the blinds flapping away and I can't fix it because the levers are broken. So the school's going to have to get onto that. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And God, we pray that we'll be encouraged as we're reminded who we are in Christ. If we haven't yet put our trust in Jesus, Lord, please work in our hearts and show us the wonderful joy it is to be a child of you that we might trust and believe. God, we pray... Uh, that through believing we will be spurred on to love one another and love those in our community all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, almost a month ago now, a few weeks back, we celebrated Remembrance Day on November 11. We remembered not just those who paid the ultimate price in an endeavour to protect their countries, but those uh, who are doctors and nurses and cooks and all those kinds of things. We remember those who fought and served in many ways in the name of peace. And it's those who serve across all wars and still serve today that we remember and we're thankful for, not just World War I. Though November 11 is the day that amnesty was signed between the Allies and Germany that marked the end of World War I. 
Thomas, Colonel Thomas Gowanlock served as an intelligence officer in the American 1st Division in World War I and he was there on the front line on that November morning and he wrote of his experience a few years later. He said, on the morning of November 11, I sat in my dugout in La Gros Faux, which was again our division headquarters, talking to our chief of staff, Colonel John Greeley, and Lieutenant Colonel Paul Peabody, our G1. A signal corps officer entered and handed us the following message. Official radio from Paris, 6.01 a.m., November 11, 1918. Marshal Foch to the commander-in-chief. Hostilities will be stopped on the entire front beginning at 11 o'clock, November 11th, French hour. The Allied troops will not go beyond the line reach of that hour on that date until further orders. Signed, Marshal Foch, 5.45am. Well, fini la guerre, said Colonel Greeley. And it sure, look like, sure looks like it. I agreed. Fini la guerre is French. Well, the war has ended. So the war ended that very time. And I can't imagine... If you imagine being there on the front line, he goes on to write that many were in disbelief that the war had actually ended. Those on the front line were still waiting for the bombs to come. They lit fires and they celebrated, but they did it kind of nervously. They found it hard to believe the truth that the war was actually over, that peace had come. But today I want us to think about, is that true peace? 13 million people died in World War One. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't feel like peace to me. It was the end of fighting, which was great, the end of conflict, but was it real peace? It wasn't peace for the wounded. It wasn't peace for the families of the dead. It wasn't peace for the communities and workplaces and churches who just had members forcibly removed from their lives. I can still remember the honour board at the back of Summerhill Anglican Church where we spent two years filled with names of men who died in the war, removed from the church in one war in one go. The countries weren't united, they weren't in fellowship. They didn't now enjoy what Paul calls, the Apostle Paul calls the bonds of peace. It wasn't really peace. It wasn't really peace for my grandfather's who had the memories of war and struggled with those. Sure, the war was over, but real peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, still eluded the world and it still does today. And COVID-19 has introduced a new world war that we're fighting physically, psychologically, we're fighting it socially, we're very much fighting it politically as well. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians on the contrary, preaches a message of true peace, real peace, actual peace, peace with God and peace with fellow mankind and peace within ourselves, true peace. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, they'd never known peace with God. No one in the world had except for the Jewish nation, Israel, God's chosen people. But that all changed when Jesus died and rose again. Now, Paul finds himself in jail, but that doesn't slow a good man down. He writes this letter from prison. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman centurion as he writes this letter. I don't know if you'd be feeling a bit sorry about yourself if you were locked in your house, chained to a a soldier. But Paul, he he just plows on. 
And he writes this letter and he talks about this mystery from God. This mystery that God kept hidden for centuries but now has revealed. Do you want to know what the mystery is? Who wants to know what the mystery is? Yeah? You excited? This mystery that God kept secret for ages is peace between people and God is now on offer for all people, not just the Jews. Not only can the Jews have peace with God, but now the Gentiles can too. It's incredible news. The dirty, pagan, idol-worshipping, intermarrying, faithless Gentiles now have access to God's saving grace simply because of God's incredible mercy. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, look at you, you're on the edge of your seats, you're so excited. Some of you have your eyes shut, you're so excited about this incredible news, this mystery that's been revealed. It's hard to feel the weight 2,000 years later, isn't it? But it's an incredible truth that God revealed through Christ's arms spread out upon the cross. Jews and Gentiles, one in Christ. It's easy to say, isn't it? But only an act of God could actually make it happen, could bring these two nations together. Could you imagine if Biden and Trump just decided to form one political party, just decided to put chairs side by side behind the desk in the Oval Office and say, you know what, let's just, let's just do this together. Could you imagine that? No, no one can imagine that. Can you imagine the Sunnis and the Shiites just putting aside their religious dispute and worshipping together in harmony? Not going to happen. Can you imagine the Israelis and the Arabs just saying, you know what, let's just share Jerusalem and every weekend let's just get together and have a meal together in the town square. It would be great. It's not going to happen. There's no real peace to be found between warring factions in our world, save through the mercy of God. It takes the love and grace of God through Jesus to bring these people together. God unites people together in the bonds of friendship and love. He unites them to himself, he unites them to one another profoundly, people who would at best hate each other and at worst kill each other on sight. God brings together in the bonds of friendship and unity. And Paul's really excited about this reality, about this mystery revealed. It's just been revealed for Paul a few years ago, not 2,000 years ago. He's really excited as he pens this letter to the Ephesians to explain this and to encourage. If you look at your Bible there, what actually happens is Paul goes on a complete tangent from what he was about to say. I don't know if you noticed it. So in verse 1 he says, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Oh, by the way, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And he goes on this complete tangent right through until verse 14. If you look at verse 14, for this reason. See? Same sentence. For this reason, for this reason. So he's not back to his original sentence until... Verse 14, he goes on this complete tangent to remind the Gentiles in Ephesus who they were, lost, unable to come to God, and now found and brought together with the Gentiles in Christ. He's really excited as he writes Ephesians, I love it. We talked about a few weeks ago that verses 3 to 14 in chapter 1 are all one long sentence with no punctuation in the original Greek. Paul's just like, whoa, he's so excited about this truth 
that's been revealed, that Gentiles and Jews can be brought together. Look at verse 6 in your Bibles. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Three wonderful truths that the Gentiles now enjoy. Firstly, that they're heirs together with Israel. Israel is one of the biblical names for God's chosen nation, the Jewish nation. Throughout the Old Testament, God cared for and protected the nation of Israel alone and no other had access to God except for the Jews. They are his chosen people. Psalm 98 says, He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Psalm 103 he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Psalm 115. O Israel, trust in the Lord, he's their help, their shield, and no one else. Israel's God's special chosen nation alone, right up until the coming of Christ. But because of Jesus, this access of relationship to God is opened out to all the people in the world, including all of us. I don't know if any of you have a Jewish heritage. I don't. But because of Jesus, me, a Gentile, can now have access to God. That's a wonderful truth. Secondly, the Gentiles are a member of the same body. Paul speaks often of the church as the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We learned about that in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Gentiles who put their trust in Jesus are grafted into Jesus' body, the church. And no part of the body can reject any other part of the body. No part of the body can just get up and leave. You never wake up in the morning and you go, oh my goodness, where's my hand? It's gone. And you go find it, you're like, what are you doing? Get back in there. And it, that doesn't happen. And it's the same with the church. No part of the body can just leave. No part of the body can say, I don't need you. Now, I'm not talking about leaving Gregory Hills Church and joining another church. I'm talking about leaving God's church. Once you've been brought in through Christ, you're in forever. Part of one church. And the Gentiles are now one body with the Jews through Christ. And thirdly, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's the promise? The promise is... Chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Through faith in Jesus, followers of Jesus are chosen by God before the beginning of time, adopted into his family, heirs of the great inheritance, united with Christians across the world and across the ages. That, that's true peace. And this is the only way to find true peace. It's through Christ. It's not just the Jews and Gentiles have put down their weapons and stopped fighting. It's that they're united. They don't live in the horror of life post-war. True peace. Peace with God, peace with people, peace within. Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, old and young, rich and poor, united to one another in Christ through faith in Jesus. Look around the room. We here together are united through Jesus more closely than mother and child, more closely than husband 
and wife, united eternally in the bonds of peace. I married Lara till death do us part. Our marriage will end when one of us dies. But our union together in Christ does not end. And what a joy it's going to be to see many, 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 many more people join Jesus' body through our church by God's grace. As we reach out, as we connect with people who don't yet know Jesus and tell them about him, what a great joy it's going to be for us to share the joy of the gospel, not just share the joy of having toys and tucker at Christmas time, as much as that is a joy, and I'm thankful that God has blessed us with the means to have a good meal at Christmas. I'm excited about helping that joy come to other people who can't afford it. But the joy of true peace with God, true peace with people, true peace within, that's the joy I'm excited about seeing hundreds more, thousands in our community find and find here in our church on offer for free through faith in Jesus. It was one of my best friends that led me to Christ. I'm thankful for Matt. Before he led me to Christ, we were good mates. After he led me to Christ, we were also brothers. What a joy it would be to lead someone completely different from you to trust in Jesus. What a joy to welcome people into our church who are completely different from us. That's what the gospel does. It breaks down the barriers as people from completely different backgrounds come together. We look around the room, there's people from completely different backgrounds in this room united together in Christ, moved from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, co-heirs with Christ, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of eternal life in Christ. That's the joy that Paul's experiencing as he's imprisoned. He doesn't care he's imprisoned. He's about the work of the gospel. And it's exciting and it's a joy. And I'm excited about our church, friends. I'm excited that we're getting out for Toys and Tucker. I'm excited that Christmas is here. Just this week, I got approval from the principal to put a shiny new laser projector up on the back up there and that's going to shine on the wall. And I've got some, do some work in the stage and underwiring. Steve's got some wonderful things. He's going to be doing some wiring under the stage. And we've got approval for all of that. Things are happening in our church. And I'm excited. I'm really, really, really excited. Restrictions have eased this week. So it's now a two square metre rule. We can have more people in the room. Praise God. We still have to socially distant, of course. And restrictions changed through the week to say that we can now sing. And it's advised that we wear masks to sing. So there'll be more information from me this coming week as information come, filters down from the Archbishop and I distribute it into see what that looks like for our church but that's exciting things are moving in the right direction for our church and we are well set to reach the lost in our community with the joy of the gospel are you excited who's excited it's been a hard year we're back together in church christmas is here we're sharing the joy it's exciting it's great i know you're tired but be excited as well as tired you can do that i've been doing that for weeks Excited and tired, that's me. All right. So, God's great purpose in the world is what we're on about, is sharing the gospel. We're doing it. Look at verse 8 in your Bible. Paul writes, 
Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, read this, hear this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's such a good letter. It's massive. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. God's great purpose in the world, get this, is that he'll demonstrate his glory to the heavenly beings, both good and evil, through the church, through little old us. God is demonstrating his manifold wisdom to the heavenly beings. Through sinners coming to faith in Jesus and then willingly suffering in his name for the glory of others, God demonstrates his glory in that. And Paul's a perfect example of God demonstrating his glory through the church. He's not even allowed to get to church. He would if he could. He's arrested, but God still demonstrating his glory through him as he lives faithfully for God. Paul describes himself as the very least of all the saints because he knows he was Saul. He was the greatest opponent to Jesus' church. In Acts chapter 8 we read, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This was who Paul was before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and his life was transformed. And God can do that and he does that through people. doesn't matter who it is, you can be transformed. That's God's glory on display. Transformed Paul from a Christian killer to a church planter and an apostle of Jesus himself. Paul is now revealing the glory of God's great plan to the world to include the Gentiles as he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. God's great plan is to reach out to the world through the arms of his son, stretched on the cross, bring them in and bless them with unsearchable, unimaginable riches and in doing so, bring glory to himself. How do you reckon Satan was feeling the day Paul, the great Christian killer, was converted? I reckon Satan was scratching his bony head with his gnarly claws, thinking, what just happened? That guy was awesome, killing Christians left, right and centre, leading people astray, and now he's planting churches. What is this? How can this be possible? But it was true. If Paul can be turned around, anyone can be turned around through the power of God. Paul was willing to suffer beatings, floggings, imprisonment, shipwreck for the sake of Christ. And I ask you, follower of Jesus, what are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? How much are you willing to bear in order to share the gospel of Jesus in his name, the one who died for you? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to go out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to make great efforts in Jesus' name? We've been given the task, as was Paul, to preach the gospel to the nations. 
What seems insane to Satan and to the world is the manifold wisdom of God. This little church meeting in this school in southwest Sydney is God's wisdom on display. Isn't that cool? So cool. Now look at verse 11 with me. Paul reminds the Ephesians that part of this wonderful mystery is that they, they now have full access to God. The Gentiles had no hope of getting to God. The Jews had limited access to God. We learned about that in Leviticus last term. Through Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike have unlimited access to the Father. According to his eternal purpose, verse 11, being accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul's message to you today is through Christ Jesus our Lord, you have unlimited backstage access to Jesus' Father in heaven. And this is, this is on offer to everyone. Don't just keep it to yourself. Tell your friends. This is on access, unlimited backstage pass to God. Through Christ, forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life, promise of riches in Christ are on offer to all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Christians have boldness to approach God, unprecedented in history before Jesus. For a sinner to approach the creator of the universe, the most holy, holy God, meant certain death. As Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai when God ascended in smoke and thunder, they weren't allowed to touch the mountain that God ascended on, let alone approach God himself. It meant death. But the temple curtain was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. The way to God is now open. We have boldness and confidence to enter the most holy place where God dwells because we've been cleansed and purified through the blood of Jesus. You can walk straight up to your dad in heaven and talk to him whenever you like. You can cry on him, thank him, cast your worries upon him, pray for your friends to him. What a privilege. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell your friends about this privilege. I liken it to, although it's much lesser, I liken it to being the children of a wealthy businessman. Who can tell me who the ball guy is in the picture? Jeff Bezos, that's right. I don't know how to say his name. Um, I'm going to go with Bezos and hope it's okay. He's the richest man in the world at the moment. He started Amazon. He also started a company that's, you know, trying to work out how to do commercial space flights, because why not? During COVID, he enjoyed an extra $24 billion in profit as people started buying stuff feverishly on Amazon while in lockdown. He's worth about $150 billion. That's a lot of money. Um, he has three sons and an adopted daughter that he and his wife adopted, ex-wife, adopted from China. Now, imagine to seek an audience with Jeff would be near impossible. He's a busy man. I'm a nobody in his eyes. So imagine if I wanted to talk to Jeff... Impossible. If I want to meet with Jeff, very, very impossible. But that's not the case for Jeff's kids. If they want to talk to their dad, they can do it whenever they like. They can go into his office building and go to the top floor and push open his 
big double doors and say hi to his receptionist and just stroll on in and talk to their dad whenever they like. And so can his daughter who's been adopted in to his family. Kind of like the Gentiles, hey? I love it when the illustration comes together. Like the Gentiles have been adopted in, so too their Chinese daughter has been adopted into their family. She is now co-heirs with her new brothers. She now has unlimited backstage access to Jeff Bezos because he is her dad. They can walk up to him in his office, tell him how school was, show him the sore knee, ask for a new skateboard, ask for a new skate park, ask for a new skateboard company, whatever, and they'll get it. Now, unlike Jeff, who lovingly, wonderfully adopted one child, God is willing to adopt as many people as are willing to accept his free gift through Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for you, no matter who you are, through faith in Jesus, you can boldly, confidently approach the creator of the universe, whenever you like, wherever you like, in prayer. You can push open the white double doors to his throne room and walk right up and share your concerns and your fears and give thanks and bow down in awe and worship of your God whenever you like. And that's what Paul does. Look at verse 14. Unashamedly, he's he's chained to a Roman soldier. He gets down on his knees and he prays. Excuse me, mate, I need to pray, so just whatever, suck it up. He gets down on his knees and he prays a most exquisite and stunning prayer. Verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, every person in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. It's from the infinite depths and heights of his riches that God strengthens his people. Why? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's not praying that Christ will come into their hearts. He's already there by the Holy Spirit. He's praying that by the Holy Spirit, they'll be strengthened through Christ. They'll grow. They'll be further convicted of the hope that is theirs so so that they might live for him and love others like him. He goes on, 17, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul's prayer for for the Ephesians, for you, is that you will grasp the love of Christ that is already at work in you through faith in Jesus. To know the love that surpasses human wisdom and reasoning and philosophy. It surpasses to know this love and know it's yours through faith in Jesus. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work in you so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Imagine I had a glass And then I had a swimming pool in this hand. Imagine I was really, really strong. I had a glass, empty glass, and a full swimming pool. And I poured the swimming pool into the glass until the pool was empty. 
such is God's love poured out into you to the fullness of the measure of God, not the measure of you. Does that make sense? God's love is poured into you to the fullness of the measure of God. That it might overflow in love to others in this church, in this community, in this world. As you go out and you do life this coming week, this coming rest of the year, in 2021, as you go out and you do life and you work and you do family and you do Christmas shopping, know that you do it overflowing with the love of God at work in you. As you go out and you suffer physical illness, chronic back pain, headaches, ageing, mental illness, anxiety, depression, know that you go out and you suffer with all the fullness of God at work in you. As you go out and you wrestle with sin, sin that you just can't seem to shake, know that you wrestle with all the fullness of God at work in you. Remember, you do life and you struggle and you suffer and you wrestle with sin, overflowing with the love of God at work in you. It's not by your own efforts that you labour for God. It's strengthened by the Holy Spirit at work in you. Verse 20, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in you. So friends, please walk up to God boldly and confidently and ask him for strength to do life, to suffer, to struggle, to wrestle and know that he's at work in you. His love flowing in you like a river. God's love is strengthening you. You don't have to kind of, you know, muster up your own strength. Go to God and pray and know that his strength is at work in you. You have real peace with God. You have true peace with your brothers and sisters in this church and in the church across the world. You can know true peace within if you but approach God and pray and know and remember his love at work within you. And it doesn't matter what happens in the world around you. You'll know true peace. And through that, God will be glorified. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful mystery that was revealed, that your love was not only going to be reserved for the Israels as you rightly could have reserved it, but Lord, you opened out your grace and mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness and salvation to all people in the world. And we thank you for blessing us with faith in Jesus and we pray for those who've not yet put their trust in you that they might put their trust in you. They might know the wonderful truths of being united to you in true peace, knowing forgiveness, knowing real hope of eternal life. And Lord, we pray that you will work in us and strengthen us, that your love will flow out of us 
We don't need to gird up our own loins, Father. You are at work in us, so may you use us mightily to bring glory to you, to bring love to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in prayer now, and Clem is again going to lead us. Thank you, Clem. Please pray with me. Father, it's so easy for us to take for granted the privilege that we have as Christians, uh, never having lived in a time when Gentiles were aliens and strangers to your covenant people, Israel. We can find it difficult to appreciate what an incredible gift it is to have peace and fellowship with you, our almighty God. We can find it difficult to appreciate a gift that we have given so little of ourselves to attain and in which you have given to us at such a great and terrible cost in your son. We praise you for affecting a true peace and fellowship with our brothers and sisters of all nations and cultures, not least between Gentile and Jew. We are all members of the same body and share us together in the promise in Jesus Christ. And so we pray along with the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians that according to the riches of your glory, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and grounded in love, might have strength to comprehend, to grasp and to hold tightly how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we might be filled with all of your fullness. And so filled, cause us to give of ourselves to you and to our neighbours in love. Enable us to extend the love of Christ to our family and our friends, our work colleagues, our neighbours, and people we know in all all the different facets of our lives. Enable us to be generous and self-sacrificial in our mindset, not for our own glory, but so that the love of Christ might reach into the lives of those around us and that many would turn to Christ through the gospel and be saved, ultimately for your glory. And we pray this would happen not just in our own lives individually, but through the witness of our church. May you work through our church to save many in Gregory Hills and Gledswood Hills so that they too might know the peace of Christ. Please bless the outreach events of our parish around Christmas, including the Toys and Tucker and the Anti-Emission Team Visit. We pray now for the poor and the vulnerable around the world, and particularly for refugees who have been forced to flee their homes. May you provide all the basic necessities of life and continue to bless the work of organisations established to care for these people. More importantly, may your gospel give life and hope and joy amongst these populations. We also pray for our brothers and sisters who are enduring persecution all around the world. Please give them grace to stand firm in the gospel of grace and to bear evil with joy, knowing that they follow in the footsteps of our Lord. May you comfort them with your divine comfort and supply them with everything that they need. Please open our hearts to our brothers and sisters in these circumstances that we might be generous and prayerful on their behalf. We are the body of Christ. Enable us to grieve with those who grieve and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.